We are on a mission. A mission to save and revitalize independent pharmacy. On the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast, you'll get actionable business advice. Hear stories from industry leaders. And share a laugh or two with us. Fuel your passion for pharmacy. One conversation at a time. Four. Three. Two. One. Ignition. Welcome to the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast. I am your host, Mark Bivens, Vice President of Sales at Pioneer X. I'm here with my co-host, Josh. Hi, I'm Josh Allen, Senior Vice President of Clinical Strategy and Clinical Development. All right, today we have Kyle McCormick on. For those of you who don't know Kyle, he's the owner of the Blueberry Pharmacy in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and uh, opened fairly recently. I think you started that pharmacy, what, about a year and a half ago? March 20th, 2020. I'll always remember the day because it was a Friday and the following Monday, the state shut down. So, Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. All right. We have some to explore there just to opening a business like at the beginning of the pandemic for the most part. Yeah. Well, that's the interesting thing. I mean, I was always going to open, but uh, I had this question. My wife and I talked about it, you know, our state shut down for non-essential businesses. And I said, is it's kind of like if a tree falls in the forest and nobody's around to hear it, uh, you know, <laughs> did it really fall kind of right. thing. And it's like, if we're a pharmacy without any patients, are we actually essential yet? And so it's like, <laughs> are, are we uh, right? By yeah. end of Friday, if I get one patient in Friday, we're now an essential business. <laughs> that was my goal. <laughs> we're now a pharmacy. So. Right. Yeah. So it's wild. I actually, the day I flew back from Pittsburgh was the day everything shut down. So like I was flying back to Dallas, hoping that I was actually going to be able to get back to Dallas and you were opening a pharmacy. That's, that's kind of the motto of 2020, right? (laughs) I love, I love the believe behind you, dude. (laughs) You you really are a Ted Lasso fan. I love it. Say, did you do your homework? I did. I did. I did, man. Um, I'm on episode seven of uh, just season one, so I got through seven. But the first, I'm not gonna lie, the first episode, I was like, okay, I'll keep going. And then after the second one, I was in. I was hooked. Yeah, was so. Have you seen? There's a there's a, a group on the internet that are keeping track of Roy Kent's F-bombs. <laughs> and season, season two, episode five, he had 22. Oh, nice. All right. I, I, I laugh because uh, we always watch it. Our older one's asleep, three-year-old's asleep. And uh, we have our three-month-old with, uh, with us. And um, I swear that he's heard more F-bombs <laughs> <laughs> in his three months of living <laughs> than... Uh, well, I've heard I, you know, in my whole like 18 years of life, uh, first years of life, I probably had heard. So, <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. Luckily, he won't remember them. Or he'll grow up like Roy Kent. <laughs> yeah. Which wouldn't be bad, let's be honest. I mean, that's not, that's yeah. not, the, worst to, that's not yeah. the worst way to grow up. We, we could spend the entire hour talking about Ted Lasso. That's all right. That's not bad. I would. The one thing that's super unique about you um, that I wanted to talk about that I'm sure you've been, you've talked to, but you might be tired of talking about, but you have a super interesting, um, pharmacy model, the business model around your pharmacy. Uh, but before we like dive right into that, it's, it's some, it's some kind of no insurance cost-based membership stuff, but what led you to go, I want to do pharmacy differently. Internship. I didn't really pay attention to costs. I didn't really pay attention to know how much we were buying and selling for. 
but in the years of residency and after, I realized, you know, we're buying this very cheap and patients have really high copays. Uh, so why not just go direct to the patient? Why, cut, why not just cut out insurance? Patients will have cheaper prices. You know, it seems like less of a headache versus chasing reimbursement every year. Risk of audit goes down. Inventory goes down. Right. It just seems like a logical progression. So decided to open up my own pharmacy testing out the model. So I have to know, like, now that you've started the pharmacy, how did you get the name Blueberry? Yeah, so um, my wife came up with it. I didn't want it to be just another last name pharmacy. Uh, I like the, the the idea of that, but, you know, it doesn't scale as well. Um, and, and it's also, you know, it's very tied to that person. So a Gaddy Pharmacy, the Gaddy family I'd owned it for a period of time, but it was no longer in the Gaddy family. Family, so it was like, you know, you have that history there in the community, but also, why is it still called that? Um, So, didn't want really want the last name, and then other options like the hometown pharmacy, hometown apothecary, hometown this. You get that feel for it, but it's like Mm -hmm. how many like there's so many hometown things in our area, pharmacy-wise, that I'm like, I don't even know which one you're talking about. Um, And so, like Apple, Google they don't have anything to do with what they actually make. And so I said, you know, also true. People love, people love what Apple is. So, you know, fruits must be a good name. So let's, what's a fruit (laughs) that's not taken yet. And my wife came up with watermelon health and blueberry pharmacy. We decided that blueberries a little healthier, healthier than uh, watermelons are. So blueberry (laughs) pharmacy. That's true. High in antioxidants. That's all I know. That's all I know. (laughs) I found out that the acai berry is fairly similar to the blueberry. I don't know. It what just that sounds is. fancier. Yeah, people can't pronounce it. So. <laughs> people can't. <laughs> That's what. I, 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 yeah, it's probably a good name for a pharmacy, though. But <laughs> yeah, then you'd have a bunch of people coming in with all kinds of butchering of your name. Yeah. Everybody I, knows what a blueberry is. Kyle, I did tell you, I, Josh is I good for a random know fact. How to spell it, but somebody asked how to spell blueberry pharmacy. Oh, I thought they were joking. <laughs> I was like, no, it's literally. They're like, is that two words or one? And I was like. It's just one word. It's, it's one, just like the fruit. It's, it's one word. It's a, honestly, some people are out there was like, I didn't even know it was one word. <laughs> I, on today's educational programming, right. blueberry is one word. Okay. All right. Well, um, so let's get into like your model a little bit. Your model's really unique. Um, so I'm, I'm going to let you just describe it and then we can chat about it. All those trends that I had just outlined kind of got me thinking, how can we redesign the pharmacy uh, model itself? And actually, a lot of the model, whenever I tell it to a patient who might be 60 plus years old, like, this is just how pharmacy used to be. Uh, and so, you know, it's not anything really new. It's just pre-insurance. Um, and so those trends, like the, you know, increasing number of generics, now they're so inexpensive that it almost makes more sense to just buy them outright. Um, from a patient perspective, it may not yet make more sense that way because they might still have $0 generics or something like that. But right. if you think about it, we're working with medications, the majority of the medications we have. In fact, I did an analysis on the inventory, and the average acquisition cost per 30 units is about $3.79. And so we have a month's supply costing acquisition $3.79. That and we're ge- asking it. That's generics generic. only, right? Yep, yep, mm-hmm. yep, yep, yep. So we don't stock any brands. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're asking, you know, insurance to get in the middle of a transaction and somehow, you know, what PBMs argue they do is lower the cost. You're, you're asking an entity to come in, you know, 
take a part of that cut and somehow lower something below three dollars and seventy nine cents. It just doesn't make sense. Right. And so, uh, really, the you know the the difference between our model and the, the traditional model is we view a future of pharmacy where you have generics bought and sold on an open and transparent marketplace and brands being more mail order where insurance really fits and you know, brand specialty, high cost generics, things like that, really where insurance should be involved. So really the, the thing that makes our model unique is we just cut out the, the insurance and say, you know, here are our costs, here are, here's how much you can buy it, or we add on a, a standard dispense fee. So for non-members, it's cost plus $10 uh, for a 30 day, cost plus 15 for a 90 day. And for members, it's cost plus $3 and cost plus $5 for 30 and 90 respectively. And so it's a, you know, very transparent how we come up with those prices. Um, early on, we were like, patients will want to know how we came up with those how, prices. How'd you, yeah, yeah, how'd you come up with 10 bucks? Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Oh, no. Or, yeah, no. Or, uh, 10, 10 and 15 were pretty, uh, like, is based on the nationwide average cost of dis- dispense of 1079. Interesting. We okay. figured, you know, our, our nationwide cost of dispense is probably lower. Like, our, our cost of dispense is probably a lot lower than 1079 because we don't have, we don't need as much staffing. We don't have all the overhead expenses, um, you know, it's, it, our prior auth departments are very small. It's, <laughs> you know, it's, clearly. it's covered. Cle- <laughs> so, clearly, everything's so like, covered. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As long as you can afford it. And if it, you can't afford it, we'll work with you to find an alter- alternative that works best. Right. Um, and so, you know, all that overhead is decreased to where our cost of dispense is well below 1079, we feel, uh, if, if we hit scale, when mm. we hit scale. So, that's where 10 and 15 came from is, you know, 10 is right around there, uh, puts us pretty competitive with GoodRx's and all the other um, you know, cash uh, models out there. And then the three and five was somewhat more arbitrary, but it was based on let's add up all of our um, uh, costs around filling a prescription and assuming a scaled pharmacy where we can fill uh, a reasonable number of prescriptions. And how much do we need to cover that that act of dispensing? Not the not the service piece, not waiting on customers, not you know, not talking through um, cost concerns with patients, not all the phone calls, just the action of filling a prescription. And uh, that's where we came up with uh, three and five dollars for the for the dispense fee there, uh, because we're getting a recurring per member per month sure. yeah. uh, for, from the membership. So the the service side of things should all be covered from the per member per month, and. You know, we set our, our membership price currently at 60 for a year and 18 a quarter. That number can adjust as we see what scale looks like for us. Um, and honestly, that's where the service piece, you know, adjusts accordingly. But the dispensing side is is really, you know, should be fairly set based on those fixed costs for, for each prescription. But yeah, we thought we were, we thought patients will want to know, you know, how, it would be really cool to see the price breakdown, how we come up with our drugs, our drug pricing. And what we realized is patients... Just want to see what the cost is. <laughs> just want to know what they got to pay. Yeah. Is that what it they is? They don't really care that the vial costs three <laughs> three cents a lid, six cents for the vial. You know, the label costs three cents, all that stuff. Uh, just want to know, is it cheaper than what I'm currently paying? So a lot of our marketing has kind of adjusted to that. Interesting. To that. Okay. So how do you how do you live in a, a world where, you know, so some of your patients may come in and they're on a lot of drugs and some of them are branded and some are generic. Do you work with local pharmacies to kind of help them like move through that? world a little easier yeah so with the idea of you know 90 percent of prescriptions filled are generic uh, so that leaves us only not able to manage 10 percent of a patient's profile and by manage i mean fill we can actually still manage that patient's profile 100 percent right 
Um, but the actual filling of that brand, looking towards a future where brands are more mail order, they fit better in a mail order environment. Uh, the cost of those brands are going to continue to go up over time. So most retail pharmacies won't want to deal with those. Um, most already don't. You look on the, the the independent boards, a lot of pharmacies are trying to figure out ways to you know, convince patients to fill X prescription here, come here for generics, all that stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. we possibly have a better and easier convincing point to the patient. It's just like, hey, we don't take insurance. Yeah, you have a better leg but to stand on. I just don't do it. Yeah. Especially already kind of created that world where patients are becoming used to, prescribers are used to sending prescriptions what you know one here because that's what the narrow contract of your insurance requires and everything else can go here so i don't think it's it's going to become an increasingly easier argument to make as uh, more of the market splits and so uh, we still help patients with those prescriptions to your question you know uh, if a patient has a brand name medication that's kind of pricey we'll help them either find a manufacturer assistance program to help them qualify for that get it directly from the manufacturer for free or we'll help them apply coupons. Well, like I have a patient today who I'll be calling her current chain pharmacy to get coupons applied. Um, and I just take, I, we charge a cost consultation fee. So as long as we're able to save them greater than our cost consultation fee, um, there's no, there's no charge unless we save you money basically is how we, we do that. Um, but you know, it's us managing their medications, but not having to actually fill them. So it's more of that, you know, service-based approach, mm-hmm. uh, versus the actual dispensing. So yeah, it's not too much of an issue. I think that you know, it is for the patient in marketing it. It's probably the hardest thing because we're not there yet where they expect. You know, if I'm uh, if I have diabetes, that's fair. And I've got a couple brand names with my diabetes. I expect to just be able to fill everything everywhere. Versus especially, it makes a lot. It's a lot clearer. You know, this is a ten thousand dollar drug. Um, I, I can't even get it at my local pharmacy, so I get that filled elsewhere. But I think we're getting there and. As brand costs keep going up and patients shop around a little bit more, they might understand it a little bit better. And as insurances probably keep grabbing more and more of control of that brand, it's kind of what you're saying. And you said 90-10, so 90% of everything is a generic 10% of its brand. And you're saying, what you're saying is it's not that hard because there's already a big portion of that brand already dispensed specialty or already dispensed Mm -hmm. through the the mail or PBM. It's, It's not as big of a leap is what you're saying to, to mm-hmm. go a generics only kind of cash model if you wanted to. Right. Right. And it's only going to get easier as fewer people are on. And the, you know, once we have Eloquist go generic and a couple other diabetes medications go generic, really it won't be the common disease states that need brand new medications. Um, we might have a couple more blockbusters come out, but a lot of the drug development drug pipeline is really around specialty orphan disease states. Um, and so it, it honestly will it will become easier because those will be it'll even be clearer that sending those medications directly to the patient warehousing them in in one big warehouse sending them directly to the patient that needs them especially if we're talking or, orphan disease states already what happens especially we don't want a whole bunch of community pharmacies throughout the country trying to stock them or whatnot we'll know that the lowest cost of care and and the most direct route is warehousing all those brands, specialty medications in, in a central facility and then sending them out. It makes a lot more sense. I guess the easier way of saying this, it makes a lot more sense to have a facility in Arizona stock Rapatha and send it to me in Pittsburgh as a patient than for 
mail order generics drugs for my amlodipine that costs 10 cents for it to be mailed to me from Arizona in that model. It doesn't make any right. sense. Yeah. And so, and so that's how I view it. It's like Amazon. We, we generally still buy our paper clips locally. You know, it's kind of silly to buy paper clips from Amazon. I mean, some people might, I'm not sure. judging those people, sure. but uh, <laughs> it makes a lot more sense for me to buy. Depends buy on it. the night. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I Get paid off my, Amazon. <laughs> right, right. I paid my prime shipping. <laughs> right. It just doesn't make sense to be, you know, mail ordering those those right. penny items as much as it does for the high cost things. Because you can also achieve lower cost of care. Because if you warehouse those, send them only to the people that need them. There's just a lot more efficiency. You can either drive down costs that way. I want to kind of go back a little bit when you kind of slipped something in there that was really profound where you're like, you're charging a consult that's where a cost I was going consult to. Yep. and that they don't get charged if you don't save the money is kind of like you just entered into a value-based arrangement but the value there is to the patient you know when we look at a lot of value-based care we're for the most part when they talk about value-based care being the new thing that's really a value for the healthcare system not necessarily for the patient and you've kind of taken that like hey if i don't save you money you don't pay mm -hmm. um, how have patients approached What's yeah. your general reaction look like? And, and do you have some like self-funded employers you're working with to help those patients? I guess the only thing I'd add to that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, no, we don't have any self-funded employers yet. That's kind of the next piece is how do we convince them? We've had some conversations, but it all comes back to the broker relationship really. Mm -hmm. Um, just so <laughs> entrenched with brokers yeah, and really whatnot. Is, isn't it? So, yeah. So it's just hard to have that conversation from a patient perspective it's generally positive. If I can say, if I, it's the agreement, if I'm not going to save you this money, then you don't have to pay a thing. So it's really like a no risk uh, situation for them. That being said, we've had some, you know, 90 is a big upfront cost. Can we uh, like pay it over time or whatever? I'm like, your copay would have been 127. I'm already saving you. <laughs> like, you've got and now bed, it's $25 because it. Osympic has this big, huge coupon now. So <laughs> or something, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, they weren't going to pick up the $127 medication anyhow. So $90 still is a fairly high upfront cost for some patients. Uh, yeah, that's true. I wasn't going to take it. Um, but that's a very small percentage of the patients. But generally, since we do enter into an agreement where there's no cost unless we save them money, they generally are, are for it. Um, I think it's just more, they've never encountered that type of experience in healthcare. And so they're a little bit skeptical. Um, like especially whenever I'm saving somebody with a manufacturer assistance program, uh, we do a charge a cost consultation fee for that. And, um, because we, we do the application for them, we do the follow up with the physician, oh, right. yeah. we manage that whole application. So we we see it as, you know, you're going to get it for free. If you do get it for free, our time is valuable. So there's $90 there, but I've had patients saying free medication. I don't want that. Like there's gotta be a catch there. there there's some, there's the right. Radar. It's like, are you selling my data <laughs> or what are you doing? Yeah. So, so once I tell them how it works, you know, I'm like, well, to a drug company, it's just a tax write off. They can say that they can write off the whole face value or the list price of that drug as a tax write off. It's charity that they done. did. So it's really not free. They just, instead of getting it on their top line, they get it on the bottom line right. of taxes. So, um, yeah. And they usually are okay after that. The interesting thing, and since it's a, a generally a phar pharmacist audience that listens to this, is I've had some pushback among pharmacists saying, you know, 
charging to help patients save money seems maybe a little bit, you know, just something we should do. And I, I, the response is like, you know, one of the best, best things or one of the biggest value propositions we have as pharmacists is actually knowing cost of prescriptions. And so, yes, we know a lot about how drugs work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when we start getting into specialty disease states, unless we're kind of a specialist pharmacist, we, we, we still generally know more than physicians. We know more than patients for sure. But, you know, one of the big things that we know is, is how much or should know, not all pharmacists know this, but is how much drug costs and how to help patients save money. So um, that's kind of the response I have. And the other big thing is, you know, everybody else is help making money saving patients money. So like even GoodRx, they make money by saving patients they money. Make, I would say they make a lot of money. <laughs> they make a lot of money. <laughs> yes. And yeah. other big thing that I've For recently real. realized is looking at their um, quarterly earnings, they have a division called um, manufacturer. I don't know. Anyhow, they made $17 million from manufacturers last quarter. Wow. Displaying, displaying manufacturer coupons on their website. And as pharmacists, we have reps come in. They give us coupons. We use it to, a lot of times we just throw them in the trash, but GoodRx is getting paid to display those coupons. We're actually the ones running those coupons through, you know, navigating through the different coupons. It's not wrong for us to want to get paid for that coupon and price navigation service. You know, we're doing a lot more than just sticking it on our website and making patients navigate through it um, and understand how they work. And so I would challenge all pharmacists to think about how you might may almost make a service line out of helping patients save money. I don't hate You were, you yeah. were talking, um, also too. like, I guess this is a good segue, <laughs> um, into like MTM services and, and, and things like that. And, and the way you were talking about med management is there's a, a portion of med management that should be, that should factor in cost and, and maybe factor in cost at one of the most important things, if it's really important to that patient. Yeah, so like from, from a med management, we, we do our cost consultation fee is generally started around cost, but a lot of what we do is around just managing the patient's medication too. So uh, the one example I always come back to is a patient who is prescribed phenofibrate 50 milligrams. And this gets to like some of the challenges I have with valuing MTM as well. But, um, you know, in a scenario, in a traditional pharmacy, if that's covered by insurance, it's a generic, it might be a tier two generic or something like that. So patient might have a $10 copay, might not think anything about it. And if we're a pharmacist armed with cost of medication, we realize that phenohybrate fits, um, 50 milligram capsule is actually acquisition cost over $200. And as pharmacists armed with costs, we also would know that phenohybrate 54 milligram tablet, although through insurance world, might also have a $10 copay, same tier, possibly, they might not be but I'm sure on some plan they're the same tier. And so in that very scenario, we could actually save, maybe not the patient because their copay might still be the same regardless, but we could actually save the healthcare system about $200 by making that change. And so really it's PBM management, it's, uh, it's formulary management, um, but it's it's you know something that a patient's willing to pay for. Um, and so the rest of healthcare should be willing to pay for it as well. And so this is just making that argument yeah, and that, you know, that's an interesting value prop to take back to an employer and say, you know, like if they'd gone through the PBM route, that $200, the patient doesn't care. The PBM doesn't care because they're going to charge that all back to the employer at the end anyway. Our view is that, um, you know, if a patient's willing to pay for it, that's the end payer. And so a lot of what we 
think about in terms of the pharmacy and also generic world is that in in the future where um, where insurance focuses less on generics and um, there's probably actually a world where you know, pharmacists can get paid directly by the farm by the patient for the care that they provide. And so a mechanism where that might work is with FSA, HSA uh, accounts where, you know, if we fund, if an employer decides to fund an FSA and HSA, uh, more so in an even government where they might give patients um, FSA, HSA funding uh, and, and some mechanism, you're then equipping patients to become the end payer for generics and, and services in a sense. And so honestly, patients are good consumers. And so I think we'd actually see, I heard it again recently with um, a podcast with Capital Rx and a lot of their, their philosophies align with ours essentially. So they're the transparent PBM, mm-hmm. but he, he has this really good analogy where he says, you know, for some reason comparing, you know, grocery shopping with pharmacy prescription shopping, we think that a consumer, you know, is bad at can't shop for drugs without some middleman helping them. So it'd be like walking into a grocery store and some person coming up to you and saying, you know, you can't shop here. You're not going to find the best price here. I'm your shopping assistant and I'll help walk you through because there's no prices displayed on the grocery store. We just see percentages off list price. And, um, you know, we're not going to show you the list price, but we'll just say this one's 18% off right now. This one's 54%. So we'll help you navigate through here versus, in a world, so that's the pharmacy world that we currently live in. Right. But if we distinguish that world from the future world that we see at Blueberry, where prices are, are open and transparent and they're also fair, a patient will, you know, the med list of nine medications, they'll start to know what's a fair price for their atorvastatin or their, their blood pressure medications, and they'll become good shoppers just like they are with everything else. And so obviously we don't want a world where it's drive to the bottom in terms of price. We, as pharmacists, we don't want to show value. And that's why we build on the membership piece is that, you know, we will show patients the service side, how we can help them navigate those prices and also provide that extra level of care um, to where they know they can call us about whatever uh, healthcare needs. Um, But that's kind of the future that we see and why we value the patient as the end payer and don't focus so much on, you know, will you know, will this PBM pay for this service? Their PBMs don't want to pay for this they stuff. Yeah, I agree. They want to take <laughs> right. it in-house and say they want to pay it. for as very little as possible. Yeah. And so uh, keeping them out of the mix just makes things so much easier. Yeah, you know, it's funny that like, when you mentioned you don't want to race to the bottom is like you almost want to race to the bottom for the drug so that you can demonstrate the value and charge appropriately Layer for that. The service, yeah. You know, like the, the history of that's been you can buy the drug cheap and sell it for really a much higher price because that's where you're baking in all of your service and patients never realized that that was the case. And PBMs just passed that along to someone else. So it just became this fictional. Yeah. No, you you see, yeah, you see dispensing fees of 82 cents. Right. Right. So you've taken something that's fictional and given it like, all right, here's what you're going to get for the the thing that you're buying. And then the service that comes along with it is, Mm -hmm. and it's very, very clear. I I like that idea a ton. Earlier in the the podcast, you mentioned you had a, a three year old and a three month old. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. So, what do you guys yeah. do when you're not blueberrying? We're gonna make we're gonna yeah. make that a verb, by the way. Blueberry, just blueberrying today. Yeah. Uh, yeah so, uh, 
we've been so caught up with COVID and blueberry over the last year that there's not much beyond there. We do like vacation and travel and whatnot, but hasn't really entered our lives in the past year. So, um, but yeah, we, we just, um, just playing at home, traveling to see grandparents and whatnot. Um, we, we camp, we camp a lot, things like that. Oh, you do. We don't actually go camping. We go up to a camp. <laughs> then we make it back on the same day so that we can gotcha. sleep in bed. <laughs> you go experience the outdoors and you come we back. Campfires, yeah. Eventually <laughs> right. we'll start camping, but three year three month old is. Oh not no right. way. Yeah. No way, man. Yeah, I'm pumped. My kid's about to be right. old enough to where you can take her camping and not hate the entire experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I think three years old will probably be like it'll be a good overnight trip, but anything beyond uh, you know, a day and a half, two day with one night experience probably is too much. Right. Well, and just like, I, I, I feel a lot more about my parents when we used to go camping when I was younger, cause we would go and I was probably four or five. And of course I did absolutely nothing to help. <laughs> so, you know, getting the, the tent set up, getting the fire pit set up, all that stuff that, you know, we'd go for a weekend. So you'd drive out there Friday night after work, yeah. stay Saturday, leave Sunday. I just, the amount of work that goes into that, it's it's a beating yeah 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 um i'm I'm gonna say this because likely my in-laws won't listen to this podcast (laughs) (laughs) we went we took a camping trip with in-laws and um and uh because they're 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 from the pittsburgh no it's a small city but it's still a city Mm -hmm. i'm from country uh small small town pennsylvania so i did camping all grown up and everything like it'd be fun to go as a family camping trip and we'll just go to my grandparents old land and we'll we'll camp there and they were all for it and um we get there and they helped out a little bit uh, <laughs> the parents helped out a lot but i'm talking about like the, the um uh, my gender like the uh sisters and brothers-in-law i gotcha and uh and like i was leading showing them how to set up a tent how to do everything <laughs> and at the end of it i was like what did you have fun and they're like yeah it was probably too much work for you know just for a day or two I was like, I did all the You're work. You're like, I'm the one that did it, dude. <laughs> I still had fun. I was like, what are you talking about? It's too much work. Yeah, uh, it was I exhausting watching you put up the uh, put up the tents and stuff. It just made me feel bad. I, mean, I just don't know if I want to do that again. It, it was a lot of work. They just didn't do the work. I'm putting words in people's <laughs> yeah. mouths, everyone. So anyway. <laughs> it was safe to say that on a pharmacy podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so I, I used to camp all the time and it was Halloween about man, maybe six or seven years ago. And I, I finally convinced my wife to go camping with me. She's from El Paso. They, they don't camp in the middle of the desert because you die. Because you die. Right. Yeah. So we, we went camping and it was, it was Halloween in Texas. And, and Texas Halloween is either like 90 degrees or 35 degrees. And some days it's both. And we went, we drove out there, we get camp set up and it was probably 85 degrees when we set up and that night, like this gnarly cold front blows through and it's like 29 degrees at night and my sleeping bags are mummy bags, right? So you zip in and the the way you stay warm is body heat. Yeah. Well, my wife didn't like the, the mummy effect. So she unzipped it and used it as a blanket. And if you camp, you know, a mummy bag works off body heat. So when you unzip it, you've basically just got like a foil blanket and she froze her butt off all night. Like my three dogs are in the tent, like huddled together. They're all freezing. I wake up, I got a little frost on my nose, but otherwise, okay. 
and she was like, I will never camp again. And she's held know. true to it. Like she wouldn't even <laughs> think about camping at this point. I don't whatever. Yeah. You just need to go to the, not the desert. <laughs> right. Right. Not where there can be huge shifts. Well, and this was North <laughs> Texas. Like this wasn't oh, even wow. the desert. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. It was just the universe telling my wife, she's not a camper. Right. Yeah, yeah. I think the universe has told me that. That you're not a camper? That I'm not a camper. Yeah. yeah. I'm a glamper. I could glamp, you know? Could get, yeah. yeah. Get like get a yurt, like a like a nice yurt or something. Yeah. <laughs> nice Airbnb. Airbnb. <laughs> right, Airbnb <laughs> next, to the, next to the woods or the mountains or something. Yeah, your your camping goes from five stars to four. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. That's that's how I camp. But um, Yeah, the sleeping, you know, I'm, I'm like as a kid, I thought that those are cool, but I can definitely see myself moving out beyond a sleeping bag. That's like that. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's, really the, you it's know, just the laying on the I don't ground really thing. Need to move beyond the tent, but like I just yeah, sleeping on the ground is just a little hard. It's just a beating. I know. Got to get a car. That's people listening to this. It's like you're soft. You're soft, Mark. <laughs> but I'm all right with that. Um, <laughs> if his temper pedic's not going, he's not going <laughs> right. either. Right. <laughs> It's purple. My purple can't come with me. A cold wake up will be the uh, the uh, remote uh, setting on the, on the <laughs> right. fancy mattresses that have the the right. temperature control mattress. <laughs> um, your model doesn't really fit inside the I'm going to call it the cookie cutter of like normal supply chain and pharmacy. You know, you're only like you're only buying generics. There's no brand generic mix. There's no probably generic ratio contract you're trying to hit. What is that like for you? And and navigating that and trying to when you're starting this pharmacy up, who's even willing to talk to you? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's definitely interesting. I think you know, getting a primary contract. So we're we're working with a regional wholesaler for our primary contract. So. Okay. You know, primary contract would be pretty tricky, you know, if you're using one of the big three. Yeah. I, I, from what I understand, it's hard to open up a pharmacy anymore, regardless in contract um, with that's, the big three. That's true. Uh, a lot of, a lot of contracts, that, right? a lot of wholesalers just aren't even willing to bring in new clients for the most part. Um, secondary markets, uh, interesting, you know, secondary wholesalers, uh there's smaller ones. There's also subsidiaries of the big three. Um, mm-hmm. you know, they're the ones that offer the most competitive generic pricing anyhow. So if, if in a future world, I'd imagine it becomes more common that you can just almost make a secondary or primary wholesaler. Um, I could see that being the thing uh, because people you can't get competitive pricing on brands anymore. You really can't like you're lucky if you break even on a brand name medication in the traditional world. Right. And so, so much of that, you know, I would argue there's so much price flexibility in a generic price that um, most pharmacists that focus on buying brands cheaper would actually be possibly better off focusing on buying generics better and just um, you know, trying to drive up their generic prescription volume and drive down their brand prescription volume. Um, I say that as an example because, or as a, um, I'll give an example on that is, you know, I was using a price platform where you could see different prices. Sure. And um, the cheapest on that among all the different wholesalers was $30, $33. And so I went to one of the reps at one of the secondaries and I said, you know, this is a good price. It's the lowest price listed. Does it, you know, not that I'm looking for a deal, but is there any 
lower and they gave it to me for $13. So um, there's a ton of price flexibility just within the generic to where, yes, it's nice to get brands a lot, a little cheaper, but if we can start separating the market to where brands make more sense at home, I mean, if you think about it, patients already are forced to use mail order. A lot of patients, a lot of patients don't like using it, but if you can pitch them that you can get their generics cheaper for them, and just have their brand name medications, which usually brand names have cheaper mail order prices anyhow. So just say, you know, this one medication, we're going to be get to sent direct. We'll, we'll even help you set up the mail order. Right. It. Okay. I and see. then everything else, all your other pharmacy needs, you just come to us and your brand's going to recur it like mail, mail to you every three months. And that's the only one you need to worry about. We'll care for you, everything else. A lot of patients probably are actually going to be okay with it. Um, and then, you know, you focus on generics, and like I said, there's a ton of wiggle room in, in the price of generics. Um, we opened this, and I thought I had a good idea of what, how inexpensive generic drugs are. What I realized is I still don't actually understand how cheap they are. Um, you know, like I said, the average cost on our shelves is $3.79, and that's everything from colchicine, which tends to be, you know, a, a pretty expensive medication, to, you know, amlodipine, which is a very inexpensive medication. So very, very, um, a lot of wiggle room. So in, in terms of where we fit into a supply chain, I think uh, a lot of it comes down to, uh, we might have, we might be thinking about pharmacy wrong in the brand and generic marketplace world is, um, we actually operate on a, on a, we're actually sitting in a more efficient supply chain within the pharmacy world. Um, we don't have uh, formulary management involved where, you know, we'll cover, I've, I had, I've had chain pharmacists share me some screen, in screen images where one formulary said we're not going to cover ibuprofen on formulary we only have naproxen a total and some other NSAID and I did an analysis actually ibuprofen is the cheapest of the, the four the three that they had on formulary were actually more expensive than the one that they wouldn't cover and so it's just silly that we have these entities that think that they can somehow lower a patient's price on generics right. um, and that that we've been sold um, as a society that they're doing a, a benefit. Um, and even like transparent PBMs, I'm not against transparent PBMs. I just don't know that PBMs have a role in generic drug marketplace because whenever we're talking about medications that are so inexpensive, again, it's the idea of somehow they're making the argument that they can somehow lower that cost from 379 to some lower right. dollar amount at a fee. So you have to add in their fee right. and calculate out their savings to say, is this worth it? And I, I would argue it's not worth it. Um, if you just equip patients and providers with costs, they will, you know, and uh, interesting thing is I, I shared how the, the blueberry model worked with a, a chain pharmacist mm-hmm. and every chain pharmacist that I kind of share it with, they, they'll typically ask, you know, well, how much does this cost? Cause they don't see cost of drugs. That's, mm-hmm. That's So I'll share true. with them like, how much the drug costs? And so local chains that they call some sometimes and say, well, how much does this actually cost? You know, we charge $8 a pill for this or whatever. And I share with them that it's actually like $2 for a whole bottle of it. And they just get appalled. And so I once shared this, you know, the blueberry story with the chain pharmacist. Um, and he was like, you know, I'm convinced that they don't share prices with us because if they did, we'd quit. Right. They don't uh, want you to know. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And so I think that summarizes the whole generic drug pricing marketplace is that all these entities benefit, you know, whether it's the pharmacy itself or the PBM, 
everybody benefits from nobody knowing true costs. Wholesalers, everybody benefits from that system where we don't know true cost. And so our our goal for the future is everybody kind of having a sense of how much things cost you to Josh, your point about, you know, we're actually, we want to drive to the bottom on, you know, how, how much things cost, but then we can actually start valuing our services. Um, and people will buy based on the service, not necessarily based on the cost. That's, that's very true. Cause if we can actually, you know, and I wouldn't say the verbiage probably is not drive down to the lowest dollar. It's actually like be as transparent as possible. And in, in being as transparent as possible with costs, then we can say, you know, yes, we, we buy it at you know, basically the same price as Walmart or CVS or whatever. But with our with choosing to use us versus them, you'll get these extra services involved. And this is why our dispensing fee is a little bit higher. Uh, or this is why we charge a medication management fee. And being able to have the patient directly see, you know, Yes, all of our drugs are the same and they are all basically the same you know, acquisition cost. But this is why I choose to come here is because of the service versus right now where they're being driven to places based on, you know, copays that are set by PBMs that right. you know, also own the same pharmacy. So are you kind of like, as you're saying, you're optimizing your model and you scale. Are you, do you have a number, a target, a patient? Have you modeled it to a point where if I can get this many patients in this type of model, I can have another one. I can do, we can do multiple pharmacies in a right, in the right environment. What, what is, how, how close do you, if you feel like, are you to achieving optimiz, optimization of the model, I guess. So we're at about 500 members. So, so like we, we have a non-member route. So, but whenever I think about like future models, like what's the goal number, it's usually about a not member number. So members have, you have predictable recurring revenue. You can, predict that, that expenses. You can also kind of somewhat predict how many scripts will they fill so from a volume standpoint. So, you know, the majority of our patients are non-members. So keeping that in mind, but I think from a member standpoint, so the patients that will keep coming back to us every month, every three months, um, so we're currently at about 500. I think that the goal for a model like this is probably about 2000, uh, members. Um, and that might change. You might come back in a year and say, yep, a thousand was enough. <laughs> might need more. Or the other thing would be changing up. If, if it's too much work for the number of people it requires, it could also change up the pricing of it to where we would need charge a higher member price, but need fewer members to, right. to um, have a, a good model. But essentially 2000 patients is the current number. And at that point, probably, you know, you could say, let's add on a new pharmacist because that's the number that I have for one pharmacist, 2,000 members. Okay. Um, or instead of doing that, let's go to a different geographic region and replicate this um, and let's open up. So the, 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 that's the current thinking is that it's not so much, you know, let's keep adding volume to this one location. It's let's tie, similar to how other areas of medicine is, let's tie the volume to uh, the amount that a practitioner can actually truly see. Um, and so that's kind of how we think about it in the membership world. Um, and so, yeah, uh, 2000 opening up additional store. The other thought process that came about in discussing with like 46 Brooklyn and some other people is you can almost have this be a crowdfunded model uh, and it could actually work in a, in an area that's lost their pharmacy, their local pharmacy. If we actually, uh, big fan of strong towns, um, some other pharmacists got me into strong towns, but it's essentially this podcast and, and network uh, of 
reimagining and going back to, and making stronger towns. And one of the core components of a strong town is a community pharmacy. If you think, you know, in the pandemic, whenever everything was mail order and you know, shortages and, and um, delays in mailing and all that stuff, people that, some of the communities that were hurt, hurt the hardest are the ones that, you know, their local pharmacy shut up shop because they relied solely on mail. And so whether it's a pandemic or a natural disaster, realizing that, you know, a strong town actually has a community pharmacy in it. And um, the problem challenge is, is that um, in the insurance-based world, you know, patients will get better co-pays if they drive 40 miles or if they get mail order and all that stuff. But if we could actually, in a crowdfund, if you could get 2,000 patients in a community saying, yes, I'll pay 60 bucks a year to have a pharmacy here. And then that's your, that's your membership. And then uh, you, you essentially at that point can say, okay, there's enough interest in this model. We'll open one up here. And so you could almost have, um, and then in doing so, they would know that most of their generics, most of the stuff that would need, they would need acutely would be less than $10 a pill. And so it's essentially bringing a community pharmacy back into a community that might've lost one. And so I like the idea of crowdfunding in a sense, because you could almost say, oh, I'll sign up for a membership. And if we get enough people signing up for a membership, then this pharmacy will come into existence um, versus you know, a traditional model is you do a market analysis and try to figure out, well, you know, what's the payer mix in this area and all that. But in this model, we can, you know, the hard part is pitching it to consumers and getting them to understand. But you could essentially share with them know what it would look like and their their savings and all that stuff and then get them to sign up for memberships prior to even opening okay. and then have enough scale at that point it's interesting yeah it, it'll be interesting because I, I think from what i've seen i think that model makes a ton of sense in areas where you can afford that and then you look at a lot of communities that have lost independent pharmacies or even their community pharmacies where like your walgreens or cvs is shut down they're heavily heavily medicaid driven mm-hmm. And so you have that, like that whole bucket, like, I wonder how you can, or even if you would be able to add a pharmacy like that in a community that cost is way more of an option of than not just mm-hmm. saving pills. It's being able to buy anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and one thing I'd caution is we think drugs are expensive and, and all of uh, America has been trained to think, you know, our costs, our, our drugs are so expensive and we can't afford them without insurance, but I'd actually argue, so we actually have a couple Medicaid patients that have um, stayed with us, even though they have zero and $1 copays elsewhere. And it's the realization that they had is you know, prior to using you guys, I was at a pharmacy where every time I walked in, it'd be $68 and I'd say, why well, that's ridiculous. It's only one month supply. And they go, oh, we, we found this coupon for you and now it's going to be $40. And, um, in our model, they came to us, they were referred to us by a provider. They've never been charged more than $20 on a prescription. And so whenever they ended up getting Medicaid, they said, you know what, unless I have a super expensive medication, these are actually affordable prices. You know, we're looking at many of them costing as a cup of coffee or something like that. So as, as long as we charge fair and are transparent with our prices, a lot of patients can actually afford them that otherwise wouldn't think they'd be able to afford them. And so not that Medicaid patients, I don't encourage Medicaid patients to forego using their insurance and, and, you know, but whenever drug prices are actually fair and affordable, if we get out of the usual and customary AWP paste list pricing of things and Mm -hmm. actually just charge fair and transparent prices, a lot of, 
a lot of people will be shocked at how affordable drugs are. And I think even, you know, government and also employers will be shocked. And some of them might say, hey, we're an employer. We're, you know, we're going to actually be able to give you a pay raise. We're just not going to cover your generic drugs anymore. You know, we're, we're going to give you money and then you go out and cover your generic drugs directly because you'll actually find a better deal that way. Because now you can shop in a grocery store uh, that actually lists prices and not just percentages off. And you can find the you can find the price and the service that fits your needs better. Um, if you're buying directly. And so I think all that's to say is that I think, you know, the, if people realize the value uh, of a pharmacy and also aren't price gouged, they're more willing to buy and support from that pharmacy versus, you know, um, being driven by payer mix or anything like that. You mentioned providers kind of referring to you for some of these patients. Is that a, is that, kind of direct primary care? Is that just other providers? There's like, Hey, look, you know, instead of giving you a good RX card, I'm sending you to uh, blueberry or what's that like? Yeah. Um, a couple uh, so we definitely have DPC um, direct primary care relationships where we actually contract with them directly. And um, instead of them doing physician dispensing, instead of them practicing dispensing out of their DPC office, they actually just pay us for their patients to be members of our pharmacy directly. And so physicians actually, the DPC physicians are paying their patients memberships. Oh, um, okay. And part, parting that, putting that, because they, they have membership-based pricing. So they just, you know, instead of us having, instead of uh, me as a doctor having to do all the dispensing, because I hate doing it anyhow, you know, I talked to one to DPC and they're like, yeah, I spend an hour of my day just dispensing. I hate it. And I hate like, it. Yeah, I can't imagine they would you, love you doing it, medicine, to be honest. Pharmacy, so yeah. like, let me do your dispensing. And we have, and, and honestly, I know in a lot of the community or on the, the chat boards and whatnot of pharmacy, there's a lot of um, uh, kind of disgruntlement and um, resentment towards DPCs that dispense. Okay. And I previously had that thought too. But once I actually understood where they're coming from, their patients are uninsured or have high, you know, insurance costs, really high uh, insurance. And they got a glimpse of how cheap medications are. And they saw that, uh, pharmacy world was charging outrageous prices for things that cost pennies. So they said, instead of, you know, one of our, our marketing tactics in order to get members is going to be, let's just either charge fair prices or some of them actually just do it at cost and um, add this, this into our DPC model. And now you'll get your drugs and your, your care all in one visit. And because the pharmacies like ours didn't exist. And so, um, and so what we are, our value proposition to them was, hey, you hate dispensing. We actually offer fair and transparent pricing. And um, so why don't you just carve out the costs that you spend in time and effort dispensing and just pay us to do that. And then we'll get your patients fair and transparent price meds. So that's kind of like how that came to be. Um, and then we also have, um, so DPC refers. Um, we have uh, a doctor who's very... Um, price sensitive and watches out for price for their patients was previously referring patients to Canada. Oh my goodness. Um, All right. And so we have some good stories about patients. Canada doesn't really have our our prices are actually cheaper than Canada. Yeah. I was going to say Canada doesn't have a good generic prices. I don't think they have good brand prices, I think, but I don't good generic brand prices. prices, Yeah. But a lot of people just associate Canada with cheap prices. Yeah. Um, They're cheaper than list price. So if, if a person, if a Uh, provider doesn't have a good relationship with an independent pharmacy and you're purely looking at, um, you know, colchicine and even on GoodRx, colchicine is expensive. Mm-hmm. 
But if you realize that acquisition cost is like, you know, uh, six cents a pill or something like that, something ridiculously low. I know, I guess it's 18 cents a pill. And and if you're looking at that and then realizing how much it's still marked up, even on places like GoodRx and even, you know, independents um, probably mark it up more than they need to. Um, And so uh, Canada actually becomes a lot cheaper uh, on things like that. So um, if we just have the same, and that's the other thing about this, uh, what frustrated me in the world of insurance-based and also marking up prices is how we go about doing it. Uh, and so there's some models where, you know, sildenafils and tadalafils of the world. Well, we know that patients will pay $6, $8 a pill for it. So let's just charge them $8 yeah, a pill. But I would argue that's not how it pharmacy shouldn't be in the market of buying low and selling high. That's not what we do. We are a care based. So we, we should actually make money based on our service. And in the dispensing role, our service is making sure that's safe and effective medication for the patient. And so whether it's a sildenafil or a lisinopril, we should make the same amount of money. And so that's kind of how we you know, set our dispensing fee. And similarly, I had this conversation with a student and thinking about specialty versus um, you know, generics. And, and you know, we have all these monitoring parameters for specialty world. And we think about how we get paid for monitoring patients and specialty. And we can justify our higher um, you know, reimbursement rate for those specialty medications. I said, well, what, what makes a specialty drug different than a generic drug? And they said, well, you know, cost, but really it's the monitoring. Like some of those have pretty you know, strong monitoring parameters. And I said, well, you know, what makes that different than warfarin? And and for some reason, Walmart has warfarin on their $410 list. That's and, pretty and fair. And it requires yeah. probably more monitoring than most specialty medications do. And they're like, well, yeah, probably. And what about lisinopril where we're supposed to be monitoring kidney function? And what about, you know, uh, statins, when we start them on, we should be um, monitoring their liver function. And, uh, you know, all these things that we've said, no, there's $0 or they're for $10 or no, everything should have a set dispensing fee. So some, you know, maybe have a little bit more monitoring. So maybe we add a little bit more dispensing fee or like we do with here at Blueberry Pharmacy with our, our, um, our controlled medications, our dispense fee is not the same. It's not 10 and 15. It's higher because we have to do a PMP lookup. We have right. to do a couple other right. things with that. Um, but the idea of buying low and selling high is how we set prices in pharmacy doesn't make any sense. Um, it should all be cost plus. And so, and then similarly, uh, the idea of copays being set at 30 and 90 days never really made sense. It should be based on the quantity consumed. So, you know, if you're getting, um, if you're getting 360 tablets of metformin and or so let's say 180 tablets of metformin and you're using uh, two a day so that's a 90-day supply versus somebody that might be uh, using three or four a day or whatever one gets a lower copay one gets a higher copay but you're both getting the same quantity it doesn't really make sense so we do have you know our 10 and 15 that's more to discourage people from you know just buying a ton all at once but the idea that we don't have quantity tied into um prices is, is really frustrating to me. And I'll, I'll uh, end with this example in terms of a patient with insulin, where their insulin calculates out to a 31 day supply. Then all of a sudden their insurance charges them a 90 day copay. Doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> like right. It shouldn't make any sense to anybody. But for some reason, insurance world, that's how we set copays. But a box of insulin is a box of insulin. So it, it should to some degree basically be charged the same amount regardless. Um, but that was always super frustrating. Uh, so that's why 
charging a dispense fee for the act of dispensing and having the, the acquisition cost be directly tied to the cost of medication is how we set our prices at Blueberry Pharmacy. Well, that makes a ton of sense. And it's, now we feel silly for not being like, it's funny. It's one of those things. It's like a, a great idea that sounds so simple after you hear it. This is one of those where you're like, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah no, <laughs> I know you're like, the way, the way he's talking about the copays. It's like, yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't got anything. <laughs> I don't have anything. <laughs> yeah, yesterday I had a patient, estradiol cream, uh, Medicare Part D patient, and their doctor referred it to us. And apparently the doctor didn't even say, you know, here's why we're sending it to this insurance free pharmacy because they have insurance, they have Part D. So I said, what we call it? And they said, well, who are you? Why are you calling me? And I explained and I said, well, you, you need, do you need my insurance card? And I, I get this sometimes whenever the doctors know about us Didn't and don't quite educate the patient. the patient. Yeah. 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 And so they're like, actually, no. And they're like, well, okay. And so they're like all nervous. Like what might the price be if I don't have my insurance card? And so, um, so I quickly looked based on her insurance, what it might be. And, um, you know, just looked on Medicare formulary uh, for that specific plan and saw that, you know, you, I don't know. Cause I didn't adjudicate the claim. I have no way of adjudicating the claim, but right. according to the Medicare formulary in the initial coverage phase, that estradiol cream would be $249. Holy crap. Um, and this is a patient, it's a tier considered tier four generic. Um, and the funny thing is though, the drug costs, I don't know, our cost on it was 20. Or, I was going to say, isn't that like a $30? Yeah. $22.95. Okay. So that means if we have a $10 dispense fee, our cost is about $12.95. And so why is a PBM involved at all? Like if the patient feels like, if the doctor feels that's necessary, and if the patient feels like it's affordable, why why get a PBM involved at all? And so it's just interesting that... Um, you know, and the, what was more interesting, I sent it off to a friend that understands Medicare more than I do. And I said, how did they get, because it was $249 in initial coverage and it was $62 in catastrophic or the donut, or um, in the donut hole. And then it was 20 something in the uh, catastrophic coverage. Right. I said, how is it actually cheaper in the donut hole than it is in the initial coverage phase? Like usually it's the opposite. Usually in the donut hole, your prices skyrocket. Yeah. And he gave me a breakdown. He said, you know, it looks like this calculated out to a three-month supply. And since it's tier four, not non-preferred, they have $100 a month um, copay. And so since it was three months, uh, there was going to be $300, but the actual cost of the drug came out to 249 So it capped at 249 And then in the um, coverage gap phase, you have a 25%. Um, you, the patient pays 25% of the cost. So that's 249 divided uh, times 0.25. You get a 62 And then the catastrophic... I was like, that doesn't like if you shared this with a patient on Medicare and showed them how Medicare comes up with these arbitrary copays amount copay amounts on generics, it's just it's mind boggling that that's how we have a system that does that. And they picked it up for you for like what, thirty two bucks? Twenty two ninety five. Sorry, twenty two ninety five. Gotcha. Wow. Is the doctor like getting copay information in their system somehow are they doing that with some sometimes of yeah some a of lot the of their, maybe that's why they sent it to you and then i know <laughs> we had this pre-call and you said you want to mention good or x at all <laughs> <laughs> and uh you just kind of brought it up there uh but so that's that's the whole uh frustration around SureScript showing good or x prices um and so so that's actually so some of that actually plays into this is that 
they are going to be starting to see prices in the system. And whether it's a patient copay amount or a good Rx amount, we, the reason that like the whole idea of, you know, sure shouldn't be able to show good Rx prices and even they're not real prices. So whether it's um, even, even if it's a formulary side, like the frustration and why I went around writing that, writing that letter to GoodRx and or to SureScripts was these are not real prices. They're not actually tied to a cost of anything. And um, right, they're all percentages of AWP. Why right? are we showing those prices? The pharmacy might not even honor those coupons. Why are we showing those prices? And and tell the doctor this is on this drug. If if doctors really want to see prices, which I think is what they want to do, they don't. They want to have a sense of, is this going to be affordable for a patient or not? Um, why not just show NADAC, uh, nationwide average dispensing or nationwide average drug acquisition cost for that drug? And then in the phenofibrate example, they would see with a NADAC, you know, it costs a lot more for a capsule than it does for a tablet. Let's just prescribe the tablet versus like actually seeing to the penny what a patient might pay. Yes, that's good. But if it leaves out pharmacies like ours, if it doesn't, allow an independence price to be seen, like GoodRx doesn't show independent prices. If it doesn't show those things, why show them? Because they're not fair and they're not transparent. Um, and so so uh, that was the, the letter. And um, to your comment about like, does a doctor actually want to see price? I think the doctor wants to see price. I don't okay. think they, I don't think they care as much as we, if they would see how cheap generics are, they would probably just prescribe things and say pharmacy, just manage it. Just choose what's best for the patient basically. Um, because generics are so inexpensive that they would feel more comfortable prescribing something and not being right now they're worried that if they prescribe something, it'll be super ridiculous. And, right. But if we actually know that like an estradiol cream, if we actually know that their patient's not going to get price gouged by their insurance, let's just uh, prescribe it and forget about it. And then the pharmacy can help the patient. Yeah. And part of what you're saying is the way it's being done is leaving out a different model, leaving out a create, like, a creative way to try to solve the cost equation for the patient. All you're seeing right now is PBM based type copays is, is, is what you're saying. Yeah. Let's actually solve the problem. Not just patchwork up with what we've currently got. Yeah. I got you. Let's actually solve the price problem. Well, Kyle, man, it was, uh, I, I think we're, I think we're going to wrap this point, man. It was a uh, really good to have you on, um, and everything you're doing the model. I hope it flourishes. I really do. Um, I think the the marketplace needs it. Yeah, nice to meet you both. All right. Yeah, man. Thanks for being on. Oh, certainly. Yeah. I believe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Enjoy the rest of the season. All right, man. I will. I will. I'm loving that show, dude. Really. Awesome. Uh, all right. Have a good one. Thank you for watching the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, subscribe, and follow us wherever you get your podcast. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts to help us reach more pharmacy professionals like you.